Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast. It's really good to have you with us and I'm really excited today to be joined by Steve Cornford, who is a pastor based at the King's Church in Burgess Hill and has been in ministry as a church pastor for 21 years serving in different churches. Steve is married to Carol, who's been married for 29 years. Uh, and after discovering that they couldn't have their own birth children, they decided to adopt, which they did three times. And now there's lots that we could talk about together, Steve. Uh, it's really good to have you with us. Welcome to the podcast. Well, hello, Jez, and thank you so much for having me. <laughs> the kind of focus of our conversation today is going to be around the subject of pastoring people to die well, uh, which may seem a bit of a heavy subject, but hopefully we're, we're going to be able to serve those people who are interested, particularly in providing support and strength to people who are approaching death or who are suffering. Um, and the reason we've asked you today, Steve, to come and share with us is not only are you a pastor with, as we mentioned, 21 years of experience in different contexts, and as you put in your own notes to me, regularly taking the funerals for your own um, members of the congregation, but also, um, 15 years ago, you and Carol experienced the loss of one of your children, James, who died quite suddenly before his fifth birthday, which um, is just it's devastating even to, to say out loud, to be honest, and strikes terror and fear into the hearts of most people just thinking about that. Um, is that a, an OK place for us to start to talk about that time and um, how you learned to process that together? Yeah, yeah, I, um, I guess uh there's a curious kind of irony to that because um, um i expected our conversation to talk about how we help people uh plan to die well when they're expecting it and my keenest experience our most personal experience of loss we had absolutely no expectation of no time to prepare for it it was uh he uh was at school one day and i get a phone call to say he's a bit poorly can you bring him home and uh so three hospitals and 24 hours later we are just waiting while doctors are you know coming to pronounce him dead so uh it's just massive shock uh and yeah hugely sudden uh you know with no opportunity no, no one's expecting that no one's expecting that of a a little lad just before his not long before his fifth birthday uh, at that age so uh yeah um very very tough isn't it at the funeral uh, we looked at uh, psalm 90 where it says uh, the psalmist prays uh, to god will you teach me to number my days uh, and i think when when a life is snuffed out so suddenly uh, there's uh, every sense of needing God's help to understand what it was uh, what what that life achieved what uh, what we knew of life in that uh, we, we're left with so many questions oh, so um, I guess it's <clears throat> uh, I don't necessarily join all to that but it certainly made me think about what it is, having known what it's like not to uh, be able to prepare for death, uh, to want to help other people, part of uh, maybe processing my own grief. Uh, I had a, in a similar sense, uh, I had a very close friend in church, a fellow church leader, uh, who 
um, had two experiences of loss in his own family. Uh, his wife uh, died, was diagnosed with a degenerative condition and he nursed her for five years uh, while she, um, you know, while this condition ravaged her body uh, and eventually killed her. Uh, and I watched him trying to process that loss uh, in the same way some time before he'd lost his son very suddenly in a car crash, a road traffic accident. And uh, it was very conscious. I was very conscious of the difference of seeing this godly man trying to process a loss where you had some opportunity to walk towards that sometime to say things and do things. Uh, and where there was no opportunity, there was there was a knock at the door and a police officer saying, you know, can I come in? I need to talk to you about yourself. So, uh, all of those things, I think, uh, made me think about if we have a chance to prepare for death, uh, what we are going to do with that. Uh, what does the Bible say to us? How, how can we help each other uh, in our lives to think about it well uh, and to live well in the light of that? because we don't know we need god's help to number our days mm. yeah, i think if, it, if anything you'd have hoped that the past couple of years have burst the bubble of our own immortality that people lived with their own stability and security um we all thought this time two years ago we all thought we're living in this illusion that you know b would follow a you know um day would follow night everything was just very structured and ordered and secure and safe that the that we tamed nature that we we're you know we were in control of our own destinies captains of our own ship and souls but but we were abruptly reminded that that isn't the case that like you alluded to there with those um experiences yeah it's yeah we we're in danger of joining the idea that Life is about just collecting the right set of experiences that are at least as good or slightly better than your peers. <laughs> uh, get the set and make sure you put them out there for comparison. Uh, and, uh, you know, what else is there beyond that? Uh, as Christians, there's a whole lot more beyond that. We'll try and help each other keep a better perspective than that. And I, I value that. Uh, you know, it, I think you've alluded to it already as a church pastor. Uh, I consider it a perk of my job that I get to do uh, more funerals uh, than most. I, I get to go to more. You know, I was, I was chatting with uh, one of our youth team just recently uh, and said, I wish that you you could get something uh, from a funeral and can it and just like uh, just open it for a bunch of young people. Just as a funeral of a believer who's lived well honour God, run their race, uh, you know, what is it about their life that we want to celebrate? Uh, it's Because it's not always the stuff that we think is really important and we start out chasing super hard. You know, nobody uh, says at their funeral, they were so good, they always had the latest phone upgrade. <laughs> uh, well, it may, it may come, I just, uh, it's not happened yet, you know. Uh, and they always went on such cool holidays. <laughs> uh, it's it is, it's really instructive to recognise what a life is remembered for.
Mm. Yeah, again, because when, when the pandemic broke, there was all this conversation of, oh, we'll never go back to a fast-paced life. We enjoy the, the slower pace of things. We've, we've learned the planet's healing. But that's a lie, of course, because it seems that unless you go through trauma, you don't actually learn and in integrate many of these lessons into your body, into the way that you, you live your life. Um, people say you never get over grief, but you do learn to integrate it into your experience of life. How is it? How has that experience kind of and the experience of your friends made a marked difference to the way that you live your life and think about your experience? Yeah, I, I do want to I want to try and find the right way to think about loss uh, and a life. I think um, to lose a child so young, uh, you've got this massive sense of loss. And what did that count for? And what you, you're sort of grappling to do that um, people ask you about grief for a little bit and then they often stop so they they are oh, how are you doing uh, you know and then after a while it seems they assume that you're kind of over it uh, they, and we live in a rapid news cycle so uh, you know they may say, oh, do you think you're getting through that now? And there's something about uh, losing a child like that. I, I'm, I'm not sure I want to get through it. Uh, uh, am I like, oh, no, that's fine now. It doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> when is that going to be a thing? Um, so you, what you want to do is find the right way to carry that and to hold it before God. And, uh, but then you've got to find a way to live with something that you sort of don't have um, um, you know and find out what is what is the right way to remember someone uh, and so you're thinking about remembering but in trying to find ways to hold it positively to you know live with it constructively you don't want it you don't want to be you know I don't I don't particularly want to get bitter and twisted, uh, you know, I, but I, I want to hold that memory well in a way that's helpful. So, yeah, it is about, some of it's about thinking uh, regularly. What what thing do I do that remembers that person or remembers some of that loss? There is a moment within grief when, uh, when you when you experience sudden grief, certainly, your whole world stops. And uh, I remember people talking to me when we lost our son and said, I, I just find it odd because I look at other people who are just going about their stuff and think, don't they know? <laughs> and, uh, and there's that, there feels like a moment where you've got to decide almost like, oh, am I just going to sort of carry on now as if this didn't happen? Uh, and I think, I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, so you, that you get to a point where you think, well, I've, I do need to pick up life. I do need to find ways to carry on. But what am I going to do in those moments? Uh, am I going to carry on in the same way? You mentioned then you, do, you said like, you don't want to become bitter and twisted. But I guess you, you experience the temptation. You peer into that void and you know the kind of the satisfaction that it, you might experience from from veering towards bitterness because that the people obviously become bitter because it's a form of comfort and relief 
it helps them hold on to and prize something precious to them. So how how did you prevent yourself becoming bitter and twisted? Or or how did you even I mean these are two big questions, I guess, but how did you how did it change your experience of Christianity and pop Christianity, which so often sounds like God just wants you to have a healthy, happy, prosperous life, which seems so often at, at odds with, have you switched on the news recently? <laughs> That's not real. So I don't know. I'd love to get some of your reflections on that. And then we will come back to what we're going to talk about. But this is precious. Thank you for sharing. There is something uh, seemingly cathartic about being a bit grumpy on stuff like that. But it's uh, it's just like fake it just so short changes you uh, to be honest it it feels like it's going to be a good thing uh, and it just isn't um but i i had to find a way some sort of framework for that i'd, I'd grown up uh, in a christianity i i chose to be a christian myself uh, at a young age in single figures having been taken to church i thought yeah this is for me it's not just I'm not just culturally a Christian because my mum and dad do. Uh, so I'd lived in that direction from quite young. But in that, in the Christianity I'd grown up in, we had a really high view of the sovereignty of God. And uh, so God always knows what he's doing uh, and he's always in control. And then something like that happens, you know, uh, now, rightly or wrongly, I'd, I think I'd managed maybe not to feel everything I could have or should have about other people's suffering. Uh, but when it lands, you know, slap bang in the middle of your life, in the middle of your family, uh, it's a little harder. You, you've got to think what you think about it. And I wasn't sure that I knew what to say to God about that kind of a loss. And there is a moment in grief where it comes down to you and God. But I feel as a pastor, I, I walk through some things with people in loss, particularly as they come to loss and as they mark someone's life, maybe in a funeral. But I feel so conscious there are some moments just beyond that um, when there are some things you can be as a pastor to people, but there's some things that just comes, eventually there it comes down to, what are they going to do? What are they going to say to God now? You know, at some point the front door closes uh, because you they either all go home or you really want them all to go home. <laughs> and you're there and you decide whether or not you're going to talk to God about it. And I think my own journey for a bit, I thought, well, I know God knows because he's sovereign. I'm not quite sure what I can say to him about that. What? what uh, well, uh, you know, what, what do I say? Uh, he's, I'm sure he's got a purpose and a plan. He's he's God and he's good. So, uh, and I recognised that for a season, uh, maybe longer than it should have been, we had, I had some no-go areas with God where I thought, well, God knows what, what he's done and God knows why this has happened in my life. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't understand his explanation anyway. After all, he's sovereign. By default, I become a grumpy Christian. Uh, not that I, I didn't think I was going to become one, but I was because because I I wasn't expressing grief. I was 
losing the ability to express joy in God too. You know, uh, because emotions are a job lot. And if you try and stick the lid on one, you you in some measure stick the lid on them all. Uh, and uh, my best attempt to sort it out was to spend some time shuffling around the book of Psalms. I realized that the psalmist is saying some stuff to God that I didn't think you were allowed to say. Uh, there's some there's some really grumpy ones there. And I thought I needed to understand what they were saying. And I'm, and in the first instance, I thought, well, if I'm not sure if I could say it myself, I'll, I'll just say it because someone else already said it. <laughs> but it, it, by looking at them and reading them and living in them, I, it began to give me a language to say, right, so this is what you can say when you don't quite know what to say, uh, to figure out that, of course, God had found a few other stuck grumpy people before, and he, he let one put one of their songs in the book. Uh, you know, it, it was okay. But it, um, uh, for me, that was a really important part of my journey. I, uh, I didn't realize that, and I, I hoped I could help people uh, with that too. So. I spent a little while badgering people about the soul. <laughs> just, just probably me processing. Uh, but I, I preached a, a psalm, a preach on Psalm eighty-eight, and uh, I, I did it a couple of places where people would let me, uh, and I, I remember hearing from uh, a. Uh, someone a friend of mine said in the church she said I I don't know if you know this but I've given your one of your talks to some friends of mine I'm like, oh, okay she said yeah that they're, they're friends of mine and they've they've lost a son and uh, their son's passed away uh, and he's married uh, and has children and uh, they obviously want to see their grandchildren but every time they see their grandchildren they can see their boy, their own son, as he was uh, growing up. And uh, it's so painful. And so uh, I gave them this CD and I just wanted you to know that every time they drive down to visit their grandchildren, they play your preach on Psalm 88 in the car on the way down. Uh, and you're like, wow, what a thing that... Uh, you, you know, we can try and help each other walk through some of that kind of grief. And for me, I find that helps me make some sense of it. I think what did what did my own lad's life didn't quite make it to five years. But actually, his life spoke to me. And then my life spoke to these people. I, I haven't even met them, uh, but I, I sense some of their pain and, and I hope in God, I can encourage them to keep bringing it to God and, and find a voice to God in all of that uh, grief. I hope just uh, find some way to keep looking to him. So. Also, you remind me of just the, the privilege and pleasure it is to be a pastor of people 
you know, uh, obviously us as church pastors, but anyone involved in pastoral ministry around people in the realities of life. It's just such a privilege. And, you know, to any people out there who are discouraged, finding life hard as a pastor, not not experiencing much of the joys and success. It's just that reminder. This is a precious, precious privilege that the Lord's given people. And um yeah, and to hear people responding to, to your uh, benefiting, if you like, or being comforted by your own grief. And actually, even in the question I asked about, you know, how do you how do you process that in light of a Christianity that seems so light and sugary <laughs> and talks so much about the joys and pleasures of life? Well, yeah, I'm just reminded as you're answering, we're not responsible for Christianity so much as the, the Christianity that we put out, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm wary of uh, a triumphalism. We have a lot to celebrate in our faith uh, because Jesus has overcome. Uh, and there's just this extraordinary victory that he has in the cross. I don't want us to pull any punches or step back from that. Uh, but we, I want to, yeah, we live in the valley sometimes too. Uh, and for me, as a shepherd, I, uh, a pastor, he's a shepherding role. I want to know what it is to um, walk with people through the valley to try and help them. So to find a language in that, find ways to share that, uh, give them some framework for it, even as I'm trying to figure out my own. I feel a bit daunted by this. And everybody else processes grief in different ways anyway. Uh, and I need to try and you know support them as they are processing grief too so um just how that is and help them find god in that too well in in our, our conversations over email you, you 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 drew up for us really helpfully a list of what you think it means to help people not just die well but actually to live well uh, in in integrating all of life into our experience of christians so that so that things like this don't become um not, I mean, they're always going to be sudden and shocking, but they don't become something that we don't expect as Christians or that completely blindsides us. And I want to come on to talk about that list. Before I uh, kind of go through that list, can I just ask you one more question about what we're talking about? I know that it's a question that people have asked you. Um, and often it's one of the first things that particularly my non- non-believing friends will say when they hear of a Christian suffering. Um, they'll want to ask the question, did it, doubt, did it make you doubt God's existence? Or, you know, you might say in a, in a secular society like this, it's never been easier to, to throw out belief in God when life throws you, you know, what it's done in, in your in your circumstance. So how do you process that question and that reality? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't mind admitting I, I have doubted my faith. And uh, and I do. I think um, I think. Doubt is a place where faith grows. So I, um, you know, the points uh, in the same way that if you think you know something, you're never going to learn anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and parents might be able to relate to this. If you're parenting uh, and you're wanting to explain to your children uh, that, you know, a kettle is hot and they're like, no, no, I know, I know, daddy. Uh, you know like okay there's something here you don't actually know <laughs> but because when they're convinced they do know they're never going to learn um and i think 
when I'm when I'm most convinced that I know everything about God and suffering, I'm not going to learn anything. I think it's in the place uh, where I don't know what I know that I'm most able to discover or to encounter God and to hear him speak to me. So uh, I think uh, I don't want us to be, I don't want people to be frightened of their doubts or like, oh, I can't possibly admit to the whole, no, 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 I'm a really good Christian, I do believe it all, I believe it all. I don't know if that's going to help. I think it's okay to say, quite, that's really hard. It is hard when you face loss like that. That's really hard. That's when you need God the most. And, uh, you know, to think you've got it all buttoned up, you're, uh, you're not going to help yourself or anybody else. I think if I met someone who said, yeah, I've got it all sorted like that, I'd, my fakeometer would be like, I'd, I'd be like, uh, sort of, yeah, this smells a bit fake to me. I'm not, I'm not sure if I get it. So I think it's okay. So, um, maybe a related question why didn't you throw out belief in god in light of this tragedy yeah uh yeah good question i think um what i did know it's a curious thing but i'm there uh we're in the hospital and uh uh we are waiting there's a point somewhere in the middle of it all happening and as it would happen um, my friend and colleague Jim was in London on another reason that day. I had no idea, but he was able, meant he was able to come and call by the hospital in a way. I don't know how else he would have got there as quickly without that. Um, but uh, we're there in the hospital and we are just trying to relay to him this crazy everything that's, that's happened. And I just knew, uh, I remember saying, I, God hasn't changed in all of this and uh, for all of it I felt I'd just known God in a way before that that I thought I I don't know I don't know how to make sense of everything that's happening at that point uh I, you know we didn't know whether or not our son would live uh, it, it was possible that he could live and have a very very different life we you know we're still waiting we just had no idea you know which way was up and how that was going to work out what I, what I did know, even in the middle of that storm, was God is still there and God is still God. Uh, and I, I remember talking to him saying, I, I just know God hasn't changed by this. No. Uh, and I was absolutely sure of it. Uh, I, I guess by God's help uh, and by his grace, I knew that. God knew I was going to be in that place. Uh, and in his kindness, I guess he made sure I got clear on that before I got to that place. Yeah, what I did need to work out beyond that was like, okay, God, God's definitely still God. He hasn't changed. But I think there's some things in God that I, I thought were true or I said were true. And I just needed to make, work out what I, what I did actually believe. And I'd sort of make a comparison to like rock climbing, which is which is a dangerous thing because I've never done it and I don't actually know very much about it. Okay, but I think if you are if you're trying to scale a, a rock face, uh, there's moments you get to a certain point, and in some kind of climbing, you put pins in or some things that you 
uh, and it felt like I was still on the mountain, but I'd I'd lost my grip. And so I was probably swinging on a rope somewhere and I needed to get back onto the holding onto the mountain. And I just felt there was a time where I knew I was hanging on by the things I absolutely knew about God. And then I needed to like, okay, you know, it's, it's a journey of sort of re-engaging in those things. It's, it's easy to think that God loves people more that really nice stuff happens to you. I've thought that. Am I allowed to say that? Well, I just could. Uh, it's, it's easy to think, isn't it? So, that God loves successful people or something. Uh, you know, I've, you know, you've got to work all of that through. You know, or does uh, God love people whose children don't die? Or, you know, uh, or that, you know, whatever. Uh, you, you know, fill in the blank for your own life, the thing that you thought your life was going to be, and it hasn't. But then you bring them to God. And so when I get around to saying, God, do you know what it's like to have a son die? You know, you just feel a. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. No, no, I, you know, why did I say that? <laughs> As you begin to talk to God about it, you just recognise, of course, God knows. Of course, God knows. Yeah, I just felt. Um, God was so gracious. He didn't. Uh, for all the things that I found hard, I don't think he. I don't think he ever forced me to have one of those conversations. He, uh, you know, somebody wrote a book pointing out how gentle and lowly he is, which, which is probably worth a read, isn't it? But, uh, but there were moments when he said, I just found him saying, uh, if, you, if you ever want to talk about that, come and you can come and talk to me about that. Just felt God's patience and his grace in waiting and, and, uh, yeah, wanting me to speak to him about it uh, in things, just amazing, amazing. So in in that in my own life, I'm trying to articulate. It's, it's it sounds a bit cliche to say that. Oh, you yeah, know, be brave and you know, in doubt, faith can grow in doubt. I mean, that's that sort of Christian poster material with a nice picture on the back of it, isn't it? But I'm what I'm trying to say is that I really felt like that happened in where it, areas where I thought, okay, God, how do I know your love like somebody else? How do I know uh, what you know about my own life or experience? And just God's uh, graciousness in holding that and giving me the time to work out that he wasn't at all surprised uh, by my anger or my pain and, and uh, uh, he, he wasn't upset about it. He wasn't going to get in a huff. Uh, that it was, yeah, that it was a safe place to come to him with all of that. Uh, yeah, as he restores faith in you, as you bring that to him. So. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, let's let's come on to talk then on the other side of of your experience then and what you'd now say to people in helping them to live well. Um, I'll read out these seven points and then we'll walk through them if that's okay. So um, number one, all of life is dying to things. Number two, death is not normal. Number three, 
Death is a unique opportunity to love, lead and encourage others. Number four, regret proofing. Number five, lamenting. Number six, letting go. And number seven, finishing well. Uh, let's start with number one then. All of life is dying to things. Talk to us about that. Um, well, actually, I've borrowed that phrase. Uh, I heard um, Liz Holden uh, say that even quite recently. She went on to uh, suggest, uh, you know, give examples. Uh, getting married uh, is dying to yourself. Uh, uh, and having children definitely is. Uh, having children will root out every ounce of selfishness in you. <laughs> uh, and you then decide, uh, uh, you know, as a parent, whether you're ready to die to yourself in order to love your children and work those things out. So um, I think it's helpful to recognise uh, that oh, oh, dying isn't just something that we don't talk about and it, it is going to happen. And then, you know, just at a moment, just before it happens, ideally, uh, maybe a week or so at maximum, uh, we might think about that. I think there's, if we live a life that recognises our choice, uh, you know, the opportunity to die to things, uh, when we come to a physical death, uh, we've kind of practiced. We're, we've, you know, done the exercise, as it were, uh, mm -hmm. and it's just uh, more of the same. But it, it does, I suppose, knock out any ideas of comfortable Christianity. Uh, there is just a readiness. Jesus, it, he said, "Take up your cross and follow me." That, that wasn't uh, about self-flagellation. Because uh, a cross wasn't about suffering, a cross was about dying. There's that sense of transience uh, in our worship, really key, that gives leaves us thinking about being with him and that day, every day in the light of that day. Because I think if we are more ready to die, we're going to be more ready to live. And I think, you know, some people speak about that and the importance of thinking about how we're going to die. I think there's a, a similar quote from Augustine I came across recently. Treat your soul as if you'll die tomorrow and your body as if you'll live forever. Uh, but I think in our world, uh, maybe we need to treat our soul as if we're going to die today. Because we kind of, you know, the old manana thing, uh, we put it off till tomorrow anyway. Uh, but I think we need to recognise some of the imminence that leaves us ready to live uh, in a way that's uh, ready to die. Because uh, I think if we, what if, I ask the question, we lived a bit more uh, ready to die, would that leave us more uh, ready to live? If we were just more aware of our own mortality? Really, that's really key to me. I, th I think, you know, I made the comment, uh, I think it would might leave us a bit less anxious about ageing. Uh, or even appearing to age. Why, why do we need to look younger? You know, why is that even a thing? I mean, it's, it's not the most important thing, but people can worry about that, can't they? Uh, well, it doesn't, you know, you look like you're getting older. Is it actually a reminder? Well, yeah, I am I'm getting older. And, you know, whenever that day is, well, however God's numbered it, it's probably a bit closer today than it was yesterday or last week. And my hair definitely says so, or my wrinkly face says so, whatever else it does. Yeah. 
uh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to uh, fight it in quite that way. That's really helpful. Yeah, all of life is dying to things. Okay, number two, death is not normal. Talk to us about that. I think uh, I think it's a thing that's worth recognising because uh, sometimes uh, I hear people in an attempt to cope with death to sort of normalise it. Well, it's okay. Uh, you know, part of life is dying. You, you, you know, you're born, you live, you die. There's, there's a natural cycle of all these things that, uh, but actually, if, if we've simply got to accept death as something that's coming to all of us, you know, there's nothing else more certain in life except for death and taxes or, or whatever we might say, then what is there to pass to people when? We just, uh, you know, it's normal. Uh, you, you're going to die, get over it. Uh, uh, which, uh, let's just be clear, is completely unpastoral, okay? <laughs> I don't want that to be taken out of context or misunderstood. A death is not even slightly normal. It, you know, death is, you know, one of the things that is still wrong with the world and will be until Jesus comes again. And so, you know, Jesus looks at death. He stands at the tomb of his friend Lazarus and weeps in the face of death. Now, maybe he raged at the grave in that moment. Uh, there was there's a real strength to the feeling that he has. I think that's the language certainly gives us some sense of that. Um, but again, uh, I've already said emotions are not a job lot, so... I think it's possible to be angry and sad at the same time. Maybe he was both. Uh, okay. Uh, but what it is, gee, he's something, there's something wrong with this grave that his friend Lazarus was in. So Jesus wept. You know, as we uh, stand with those who are facing death, as we pray about it, uh, it's, it's not, oh, just help us to recognize and accept what's kind of coming it's like lord this was never your purpose in creation you know part of our prayer is come lord jesus and put an end to this this corruption in the world this this tear this distortion in creation and come lord jesus and make all things new paul writes to the corinthians in 1 corinthians 15 26 that death is our last enemy uh, and so I think as we think about death, we want to look to our Redeemer uh, for anything good that he might bring, even out of death. Uh, and in some way, I think even in pastoring people to die well, I think there's a moment where we need to help them to say it's OK to grieve. What happens when a believer, uh, you know, has lived well, run a great race, has gone to glory, is with Jesus. Oh, that's okay. They're with Jesus now. That is great. They are with Jesus now. But your marriage of 50 plus years has just finished. You, your, your life partner, who spurred you on, it, it's gone. Now, that's, that's grief, isn't there? Because we're made for relationship. Death, what's well, part of what's wrong with death is it 
albeit temporarily, severs relationship. It tears us apart. I grieve because I've lost someone. I'm not going to see them anymore. I'm not going to be able to hear how they're feeling. I'm not going to be able to tell them how I'm feeling. I'm not going to know their encouragement or comfort. They're not going to know mine. That's That hurts. It reminds us that, yeah, we all of our relationships are finite, except for in Jesus. Uh, uh, and it, it turns us back to him in that. Uh, uh, so we want to help people in all of that, to keep hoping in God, uh, even in their grief. That's really helpful. And actually, it, you know, in a, in a culture that would want to normalise death and say, you know, everyone dies, it's okay, you know, you have to accept it. Actually, it, that devalues the significance of the one we've lost in the in the bereaved eyes, in the bereaved eyes. So actually for the Christian to be able to say, this is not normal, it's okay to feel very angry and feel the full force of God's anger at death here. That's really helpful. Oh, number three then. So death is a unique opportunity to love, lead and encourage others. Okay. I think, uh, I, I, I love this. Um, I, I think what is so important is that we, part of living well and living every day as if we're going to die, uh, is about saying, well, you're going to make sure you say that stuff. You know, if today's your last day, you don't just catch up with someone and, uh, you know, go through the sports banter, uh, as good as that is. What is that, that thing that you really wish you'd say or that you, you would really wish you would say if you knew it was that last conversation? What would I want my children to hear me say as many times as I could? before I died, that I, I don't always make the effort to say now. Uh, I think of my friend uh, who had those five years I mentioned earlier with his wife. Actually, uh, of course he felt lost, of course he grieved after his wife had passed away. But my observation was that he held that grief so differently than he did for his son. Because in five years, there were a lot of important conversations. You know, she led him and he led her. There were things they were able to say and be. There were moments between themselves, moments with their wider family. Uh, things uh, that um, could have been said and, and were better said than not were said, uh, which is so important. What an opportunity there is uh, to encourage others uh, you know, and we see, uh, which is maybe that's a bit countercultural. If you knew you're going to die, we just want to talk about a bucket list, don't we? Uh, what what is what's on the list? What what experiences do I need? Uh, but I think as believers, we if we knew we're going to die, and hey, we all do know we are going to die. What is it that I can give to others? Uh, what would be on my, you know, bucket list for doing and being to other people? knowing you know in ways that i could encourage them really keen that's a beautiful idea i love how you flip that thank you yeah well talk to us about number four regret proofing yeah um now in some ways i think that's probably just sort of the other idea turned around uh i've talked having talked about the unique opportunity to do things positive uh one of the ways that i want to live well is to think well uh, even just to review scan my own life and think yeah if I didn't do that how bad am I going to feel about that 
So, because uh, I'm not always good at thinking about uh, the best ways of doing things. Uh, but if I can just sort of sweep up around the edges and think, yeah, I'm going to feel pretty awkward if I don't know, uh, then I am regret-proofing my life uh, and thinking, okay, I don't want to live with that being a regret, therefore I will. Uh, so uh, it's, you know, it just helps me when maybe I'm not as motivated by my love uh, as I need to be. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the motivation from a little bit of regret avoidance. Uh, That's great. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't matter what the motive is. Sometimes the, the action is important enough that you should do it regardless of what yeah, your motive yeah, is. Yeah. And then you do it and realise what a difference it makes. And that's a great place to know love. You discover it, don't you? You can grow in that sort of thing too. So, yeah. All right, well, number five. Talk to us about lamenting then. Yeah, other people have uh, talked about it. I think, uh, you know, in recent days we remembered uh, Desmond Tutu. Uh, he gave a place for people to lament and express grief under the horrors of apartheid. And in doing so, I think he helped a nation to process some, uh, some of the grief of a dreadful chapter in its history uh, in ways that I think we, the world uh, saw, I'm not sure if the world learned from, I think, uh, some people looked and oh well they didn't do anything uh, what they just went and you know what did it achieve well what it achieved was people's sorrow was heard their lament uh, were, and I think there was some healing in that I think it uh, I wouldn't underestimate what it achieved in that way um, but as uh, somebody else wrote this and I think it's a good way to put it I I like this definition of lament it's choosing to feel how God feels because the world is not how it's supposed to be. Uh, and so if, if there's something about lament that we could do and is worthwhile doing, it's saying, how does God feel about this broken world? How does, how does God feel about death? How does he feel about uh, dementia or cancer? How does he feel uh, you know, about uh, mental illness in its, you know, in many difficult forms, physical disability. How does, it, uh, how does he feel about uh, suffering as we see it in uh, so many dreadful ways in the world around us? Uh, uh, and being okay to ask God how he feels about it, to not to think, oh, well, uh, he's okay. He's always in a good mood. <laughs> it's, it's all right. <laughs> uh, as if, uh, you know, we've got to sort of jolly ourselves in that in some way. I think God is, God is good. And he is gracious and loving and his love reaches out. Uh, and it, it reaches out uh, to things where he sees pain and hurting too. And if I'm going to reach out like him, Maybe I need to look where he's looking. Maybe I need to uh, ask him what he's feeling. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I, you mentioned about how, how does God feel about things? It occurs to me in the book of Genesis, we get an insight when it talks about the Lord being grieved and regretting that he had ever made man. He felt, oh, this was not how you were supposed to behave and treat my earth. That's beautiful. Lament, very helpful. Okay, number six then. Um, talk to us about letting go and how to integrate that into a life 
of living well? Well, uh, yep, I, I think very much uh, of Psalm 90, I think it's verse 12, that talks about teaching us to number our days. I, I stumbled upon that when my son died and I, you know, I've tried to live that as I live with the loss. I want God to teach me his wisdom and uh, something of his order that he's in control, that I can trust him in all of that. It's hard when we are trying to pastor people to die well. Uh, one of the things that it's easiest to pray is that they won't die. Uh, that uh, they, no, uh, please don't let this happen now. I, I didn't want this. I think there's a place in pastoring people to die well that hopes to lead them to trust God enough that maybe this might be God's number of their days. And, and yeah, I recognise in many ways that can feel harder than trusting God for a miracle. And interestingly, I would say in my limited experience as a pastor that quite often the individual themselves has the clearest sense of their time uh, I will meet with a believer and uh, I want to hear so I want to hear what they are praying sometimes when we pray we hear oh I hear they've had a diagnosis uh, that you know something's happened they're not well oh oh lord don't let it happen lord stop it now Sometimes I visit them and I, I want to know what, what's, I want to pray with them. Uh, I want to hear how they're going to pray. They, maybe they're more ready, actually, Steve. I think this, I think I'm ready to go home now. And uh, to, to know God, I've, I've lived for this day. I think it, I think it might be soon. You know, I, so I want to find out uh, where they are, uh, what, how they're praying in their season of life. And it may be as a pastor that, you know, it's likely that will shape the way that I will pray with them and pray for them. Because I think in pastoring people to die well, one of our main roles, most of what we're trying to do when we visit people, whether they are well, you know, whether they think they're dying or not, is to recognise God in their circumstances. Uh, because they want to see the pastor because this has happened uh, in their relationship, this has happened to their teenage children, this has happened when they went to the doctors, and they're confused, they weren't expecting it to happen, and they thought God didn't do that sort of stuff, and so they're asking you as the pastor to say where God is in all of that, so, <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes you think you know, and then other times you haven't got a clue, sometimes that means that I'm actually trying to pastor the family of someone, when I'm trying to pastor someone to die well, because, uh, the person themselves is getting ready to go, uh, but their family aren't quite ready for them to go. And uh, I've known times where it seems like, even though I believe that God numbers our days, and I feel like I see that, it seems like they're almost hanging on till their family let them go. It could help someone uh, if, when you love someone to be able to do that encourage them in their way it means that you're more likely to have the conversations to be able to lead each other although if you if you aren't ready to let them go you're not going to have the conversations that you might need to have because i don't need to have them you're going to get better it's all right you know uh, there's some moment in this actually uh maybe this is the time and let's 
let's talk like it is anyway. And hey, if you get better from that, we had some good talks. <laughs> There's always a, a sense of mystery in that too. So we pass to people with an expectation to recognize God and a, and a humility that he's God and he numbers our days. It strikes me as you were talking as well, there's this need to help people let go of their grip on this life to, to take hold of what God's got for them on the other side of what they had. And that is sometimes it's like trying to prise a, a child's fingers off something they're clinging on to desperately, not letting go of. But uh, that's really helpful. And then we come to number seven um, in helping people to live well. It's the idea of finishing well. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I think uh, what I think in terms of finishing well is that uh, from our culture, we're going to uh, champion, we're going to prize personal experience, uh, you know, and if we don't check that in our own lives as believers, uh, we will want uh, even death to be a good experience, uh, or at least uh, um, difficult as it possibly can be, uh, rather than... Uh, actually being about finishing well. Uh, so I think pastoring people to finish well will lead us uh, instead to value perseverance and faithfulness through sickness and in death. There's that same expectation in finishing as there is in living. And that is wanting to say, we, we don't champion faithfulness enough in living. I think if we did more, we would, uh, be ready to recognize it in dying too. I think, you know, Jesus prayed in John 17, wasn't it? He prayed for our protection. And uh, I was looking at that recently and it, I don't know why I'd never really thought about it before, but uh, it's a kind of curious thing because he prayed for his disciples to be protected. Uh, and if history tells us anything, um, I think all of the 12 of them came to a difficult end. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, hold on a minute. What, what, what happened to that prayer for protection? Because uh, well, well, their finish was kind of awkward. Uh, John might have lived to old age, uh, but for the rest of them, uh, it seems as best we know, they were martyred. Uh, what did, you know, sorry, what did, 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 you, did you or did you not, Jesus, pray for their protection? Uh, well, he did. But what he prayed for was that their faith would be protected in that, that they would be faithful to the end, that they would persevere in the gospel, in the love and the grace that he'd given them. Uh, and I think we miss some of that. I think uh, we're skewed to a present physical experience view of life and even of death. Everything that moment. I... Uh, I've just walked through uh, uh, the end of a life of somebody in our church. We had a Thanksgiving last, just a couple of days ago. And uh, an individual had a diagnosis of uh, cancer uh, with just a few days or a few weeks to live. And uh, in the early stages, in my first visits to visit this, uh, you know, fabulous, faithful believer, from her bed receiving palliative care, she uh, sung to me. And uh, she just sung, trust in the Lord and wait patiently for him. This beautiful piece of Mendelssohn that uh, she'd probably sung many times in her life. And uh, it was actually 
it was a huge privilege to gather with her family and to sit at her bedside uh, when she had little or no speech and to sing back to her and to pray for her in those final days of her life. Uh, uh, it, it was awesome. Uh, it wasn't, you know, we might have an idea of what awesome worship is and think of a huge uh, congregation in a big arena somewhere with an amazing band. But uh, to be at her bedside, uh, worshipping together with her family, just looking forward to heaven, that was awesome worship. It was absolutely awesome. Uh, it was amazing. And I think that's part of finishing well. Uh, we want to encourage each other in for all the pain of that, for all that was so hard to see uh, in health that uh, ravaged her and, and finished her life in that way. Uh, you know, if she hadn't, you know, if her days had been shortened, we wouldn't have worshipped with her in that way. Uh, and I, for one, am so grateful for that. Um, I quite think her family would be too. Wow. Thank you. That, those, are, those are seven things on how we can help pastor people to die well by helping them to live well. Number one, to impress upon them that all of life is dying to things. Number two, to allow them to live in the reality that death is not normal. Number three, to remind them that death is also a unique opportunity to love, lead and encourage others. Number four, to help them to consider regret-proofing their life and experiences. And number five, to allow them to lament, to plumb the depths of lamenting well. Number six, help them to let go, learning to let go. And number seven, learning to finish well. Uh, Steve, those seven things are deeply helpful, very practical, and no doubt will you know, just be equipping a lot of pastors and leaders now as they hear those things, and particularly just to hear your tenderness of heart and your shepherding heart for people it's uh, it's a it's a real privilege to talk with you and inspiration thank you so much well, thank you uh, thanks for asking Jess that's great I will uh, I think it's worth mentioning a couple of books that I read recently which I think uh, helped me in that uh, John Wyatt's book Dying Well uh, I think is a good book for pastors who are wanting to help people think through uh you know, even trying to support a family, trying to make difficult decisions about end of life care uh, and what some of the issues are. Uh, and also I read this book by Michael Whitmer, um, The Last Enemy, Preparing to Win the Fight of Your Life. This is the kind of book I think you could share with somebody in your church uh, who's wanting to think about that. Maybe they are just freshly aware of their mortality and thinking, hold on a minute, this is a new chapter. Uh, and I want to live it as well as all the other chapters. So some that I think would help you uh, and some that I think might help those you pastor. And uh, if you read them, uh, you might recognise some of the things I've shared today. <laughs> so. uh, we'll, thank, we will put the, the links to where people can buy them in the description to today's episode as well. So anyone listening can go on our website, newgroundchurches.org forward slash podcast, and you'll find a description, uh, a link to those books there. Steve. Thank you so, so, so much. It is, yeah, really sacred time as well in many of the things that you've shared, particularly about your personal experiences. 
Thank you for sharing them with us.